And so if you want to build a media company, you need to build media personalities. As the founder, I think the founders are the most ripe and ultimately the best to be sort of like the media personality because they're the most skin in the game long-term to represent the brand, to represent the company that you want to, uh, they want to do marketing for. We all strive for more nowadays, more traffic, more revenue, more growth. In this never-ending battle for more, it's easy to forget what's important. So what is important? Building real relationships with real humans and trying to be better each day without caring quite so much about getting more. After all, by building real and meaningful relationships, you'll have way more than you ever need. The SaaS SEO Show is a platform for meaningful connections and honest conversations with people who are real, hardworking practitioners and high performers in the SaaS industry. We're here to learn and get inspired by them, and we hope you do too. Now, here's your host, George Cassiotis. Before we jump into today's episode, I'd like to give a quick shout out to the sponsor for this episode, Ahrefs. Ahrefs provides you with an all-in-one SEO toolset that does everything from rank tracking to backlink analysis, keyword research, and technical audits. The best part, you can now use Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free to identify and prioritize optimization opportunities for your website, see all the keywords that your web pages are ranking for, take a close look at the websites that link back to and refer you in their content, and analyze other websites to find out what drives their rankings. Visit ahrefs.com AWT and sign up for free. And now, back to today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the SaaS SEO Show. I'm your host, George Kasiotis, and today I'm very happy to be joined by Corey Haynes. Corey uh, was previous, previously the head of growth at Barometrics um, and first marketing hire at Cordial. Um, he has consulted with dozens of startups on marketing and growth, including Savical, Evercast, Riverside.fm, Holloway, Beamer, Timestatic, and the list goes on. You could describe Corey as a marketer, entrepreneur, podcaster, or investor. Nowadays, Corey is the founder at Swipe Files, and I couldn't be more happy to have him here to chat about SaaS marketing and how to run a SaaS company um, like a media company, I guess. Uh, Corey, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really excited to chat and uh, appreciate the very generous intro as well. Yeah, of course. So uh, before we get started uh, with the questions that I have for you, I would really like to know uh, a couple of things about you and um, about your journey. So if you could share what brought you to where you are today, that would be fantastic. That would be a great way to to kick things off. Sure. Yeah, I kind of fell into marketing a little bit. Um, when I was 19, I got really, really into this whole idea of entrepreneurship and starting a business and uh, sort of going you know, a little bit off the beaten path, off the traditional, uh, I don't know, American dream life of working at a big company for 30 years and then retiring with a, with a pension and a social, social security check. I wanted to do my own thing. Didn't really know what that meant though at the time. So I was majoring in accounting. It wasn't actually until I switched colleges, I transferred and then found out that they didn't have an accounting degree that I had to choose something else. And the only two options were global business or marketing. And I can't speak any other languages besides English, unfortunately, a huge regret of mine. 
Uh, so I thought, oh, marketing sounds good and fine. Turns out that I actually really like marketing because all the podcasts I was listening to, books I was reading, people I was following, I was starting a business, a lot of it actually comes down to marketing. It's how do you grow a business? Um, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do with that, though. Again, still, now I'm a little bit a step closer in marketing, but I still don't know like what kind of companies I want to do marketing for or what type of business I want to start. Uh, and so I kind of fell into it when I was just scraping and clawing my way to any internship opportunity I could find that I started working for a, a startup here in San Diego called Cordial. I was the first marketing hire. Um, and the first intern, right before they raised their Series A, I call it my crash course in marketing because they were just throwing anything and everything at me. I'm a little bit surprised, to be honest, because I knew absolutely nothing, but they were like, hey, we need to go spend a million dollars sponsoring conferences. Hey, we need to go spin up LinkedIn ads. We need to go write blog posts. We need to grow our Twitter audience. We need to you know, collaborate with our partners and run webinars. And I just had to figure it out kind of on my own. Um, but through that process, I realized, wow, this whole SaaS company thing is like amazing. I absolutely love SaaS. It's the perfect business model, in my opinion. I love software. Uh, I love, I've always been like a kind of app aficionado and technology aficionado. And so the stars aligned a little bit and figured, you know, this whole SaaS marketing thing, I, th I think I can get used to this. I think I like this a lot. And so I uh, stuck with it and planned to for a long, long time. Okay, that's great. Uh, and I guess that the best way to to learn is by actually doing the job. So uh, I think that this first experience of yours must have been uh, the experience that you needed in order to uh, to to get in the into the traject trajectory that you got into ultimately. Um, nowadays, you run Swipe Files, and you have many interesting things around it. Uh, could you please uh, tell us a couple of things about Swipe Files? What the community is? Uh, who is the typical user, let's say the, the member of the community, uh, and who gets the most value out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Swipe Files is a, um, a site and a newsletter for mainly SaaS founders and marketers. So normally like very early stage SaaS companies to uh, the founder or the developer is doing the marketing themselves, or like a marketing team of one or, or a marketing leader at a SaaS company who needs some support, education, inspiration, on how to do their job, right? How to how to grow a SaaS business, and so um, the main kind of outlet and create content that I create is through a free newsletter, uh, and so you can sign up for it at just at swipefiles.com. There's also another; uh, it's called Tiny Marketing Ideas, where I have a drip of 120-ish kind of atomic unit, little bite-sized marketing ideas that you can use. It has a couple of examples and um, resources to, to learn more about how to do it. And then on the back end, there's a, a membership community. And so within that community, there's a private forum hosted through Circle, uh, three courses that I've created, Mental Models for Marketing, Five Factors of Growth, and Marketing Like a Media Company. Uh, I do live office hours with members. And that's really where I get kind of hands-on and helping SaaS founders and marketers with their business and uh, translate a lot of my learnings and experiences to other people to help them. I think that's a great way to... Uh, like. Kind of to to give back to to uh, to the community and to the industry as a whole, um, and uh, I really like what you're doing. Obviously, uh, this is why we we are having this conversation, um, and I would like to kick things off um, by something I, I I saw in the book that you're currently writing, uh, founding marketing. Um, which is one of the chapters uh, essentially is about letting your customers tell you how they want to be uh, marketed to. Uh, can you please? Sir, a couple of things about the concept behind this chapter. 
Mm-hmm. Well, the first thing that a lot of marketers do when they start on a job or when they're asked to create marketing ideas for a company is they just start thinking about random stuff. <laughs> they just start coming with ideas. They start looking at what competitors are doing. Uh, they start looking at what's the latest growth hack or tactic or strategy. Um, they try to figure out what are the trends, what's working right now. And then they just go and, and do stuff. And it's really kind of like throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. You're sort of just taking some educated guesses and you're not really thinking from first principles. So when I say letting your customers tell you how they want to be marketing, marketed to, so the problem with marketing is that there's so many options that if you just do all of them, you're going to have a really low success rate. And it might take you a long time to figure out what actually works, right? If you literally just kind of work top down in this list, it's funny because I have the Tiny Marketing Ideas newsletter. Uh, it's a little bit ironic because I actually don't like that approach of just like, oh, here's a whole bunch of ideas. Let's, let's work through the list. That's not really what that serves, but that's what people want. So I have to give them what they want and then teach them what they actually need. Um, but that's how a lot of people treat marketing is they just have a big list of ideas. There's the book Traction out there, which has like the 19 traction channels. And you're supposed to just like methodically and programmatically work through each one of them and test them. And I just don't like that because uh, one, your certain uh, unit economics and pricing is going to allow for certain channels and disallow other channels. You're going to be priced out of a lot of channels. Brian Balfour of Reforge, he talks about this idea of uh, product channel fit or even market channel fit, where basically if you have a, um, a really low cost or even freemium model, then like you're not going to do sales one-on-one with all of your customers, obviously. But also, it's probably going to be too expensive to acquire a customer on LinkedIn, for example. So why even bother going to LinkedIn? Um, so anyways, you're going to be sort of like, you can use this as a framework just to whittle it down. But then when it really comes down to it, marketing is not just about running ads. It's not just about writing content. It's about thoroughly, really deeply knowing your customers. What are the pain points that they're experiencing? Who are they? What are they trying to achieve? How do you even reach these people in the right in the first place? Are, do you know that you're reaching the right people? Normally, when I ask people who their customers are, they'll say something like, "Well, they're the let's just say for example, they're the director of marketing at a small business in the United States, age 35 to 45." That doesn't help you with anything on how to market to them, right? If you really know your customers, you know all the things about them. What is their background? What are they working on? What are their challenges? What do they care about? What are the dynamics with their, with their company, with their boss? What's their team size? Um, you know all the things about them, probably even like better than they do, right? Because it's, it's kind of this bias that we have where it's harder to, to see ourselves the way that other people see us. But if you know your customers, you know everything about them very intimately. And it's only then that you can truly come up with uh, innovative marketing, but let alone you can kind of like hit the hit the ground running and you can do marketing that is has a much higher chance of success. So anyways, to get to the point, when I say letting our customers tell you how they want to be marketing to, if you just do a little bit of customer research where hop on a call and ask some questions like, how did you first hear about us? What were you trying to do when you signed up for our product? What are the challenges that you're, that, that you're currently facing? Is there anything that almost prevented you from not signing up to our product? Basic questions like that where you get to know the customer and all of a sudden these thoughts are going to be flooding into your mind about, oh, wow, we can be do- doing things a lot better. We can be communicating things a lot better. We can be showing up in a lot of different ways. You can run a survey to your customers. 
uh, ask a lot of those same questions. You can even just do kind of online sleuthing. You can look through reviews of your competitors. You can do an advanced Twitter search and see what people are talking about and, uh, and look for certain keywords. You can do Google searches. You can look through Facebook groups and Slack groups and search for keywords or just see what people are talking about. What are the most engaged questions? What's top of mind for people a lot right now? And then you know exactly, all right, here's the, uh, I call it influence mapping. So now we know exactly, here's how people make decisions that lead to purchasing a product like ours. Let us now just reverse engineer all the things that we need to do, all the pieces of the puzzle we need to have in place in order for customers to come to our product. And now we're just sort of facilitating that process. We're like, all right, we're showing up in the right places. We're saying the right things. We are providing the right information for them to, to make a decision. And we are letting our customers lead our marketing strategy. After you do that, um, is it possible, which is another chapter of the book, to identify the channels um, that can help you get to millions, potentially, in ARR? Um, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. How can you define, or how can you find, in general, one to three channels uh, is the, I guess, the, the range that you give in the, in the chapter that can help you get uh, to millions in RR, which essentially, as I understand it, is sort of like a metaphor of, um, you know what, you don't have to try 50 different channels. You just need mm -hmm. very few um, that can work tremendously well for your SaaS company. Yeah, exactly. So again, it comes back to, do you know your customers well enough to understand how they make buying decisions? And it, it differs for every type of buyer, type of business, price point for a product, and the industry in general, because everyone's going to have their own cultural norms about how products are discovered and weighed and, and used. And so you take an industry like podcasting, for example. Um, I use a lot of podcasting SaaS tools, and I know a lot of podcasters. I'm a podcaster. I go on podcasts, so I know the, the market fairly well. And if you look at the way that most of the let's just say podcasting SaaS companies grow, it's usually a combination of three things. One is SEO. There's a lot of keywords and a lot of search traffic for things related to podcasting. Two is affiliates. There are a lot of people creating content for podcasts and a lot of podcast influencers, a lot of creators who are looking for an additional revenue stream and are happy to throw an affiliate link on their site and recommend you as the, the best podcast recording tool or hosting tool or editing tool or you know uh, you name it, right? Um, and, and number three is social media because that's just what people, you know, it depends if it's Instagram or it's Twitter or if it's uh, you name it, Facebook groups, but like podcasters are going to be very active on social media so you can meet them where they're at. Contrast that against something like uh, enterprise selling to enterprises like Fortune 500, for example, and it's going to look completely different. There's almost no search traffic because everything is so specific, uh, and also just like that's not the way that you know chief executive officers and chief innovative officers or chief marketing officers are are doing things. They're too advanced for that, right? So you'll find that if you're selling to Fortune 500, you're going to need a sales team first of all. It's not even marketing. Uh, second of all, you're going to need to go to a lot of conferences because that's just how a lot of these networks and conversations start in the first place. Uh, and third, you're going to have to do a lot of sponsorships. You're going to want to sponsor and show up to uh, this really niche you know, newsletter, or you're going to want to sponsor um, a private dinner. You're going to want to sponsor 
uh, uh, a mastermind group, right? Um, you're going to sponsor a, a trade magazine or whatever it is that, again, you find the sources of influence and that kind of dictates your marketing strategies. But you don't need, like I said, you don't need 10, you don't need 50. Normally, if you actually look at it, it's one to three channels that get you to millions in error that really help you scale up. SEO goes a long way for a lot of companies. Events go a long way for a lot of companies. Affiliates go a long way for a lot of companies. I mean, even in the early days, you look back at um, companies like ConvertKit. Uh, there's a case study that I love and I reference all the time. Um, Nathan Barry, the founder, he had gotten like maybe the first thousand customers just through cold email. And they got to, I think, 100,000 in MRR, just over a million dollars in ARR. And then they started doing these webinars with affiliates. And that in a year, they scaled from 100,000 to $700,000 in MRR with just that one channel. They literally added $7 million in ARR just through doing affiliate webinars. It's not rocket science, right? You find out what works and then you scale that up and you milk it for everything that it's got and you keep that thing uh, maintaining, right? Keep that thing going. You don't want to sort of give away uh, or let someone overtake your competitive advantage in marketing, but it doesn't take all that much. It's funny because today we had a webinar and uh, I referred this uh, same example as a um, as a great example of you know uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> network based con, let's say. But um, the the funny thing is that this piece of con was by lead feeder, if I'm not mistaken, um, and the title reads, reads uh, from. Um, from 98k MRR to um, something crazy, like a, a very big difference, like 650k in MRR, if yes, I'm not mistaken. Yes, exactly. Uh, mm -hmm. By doing 150 webinars in one year, which is crazy. Uh, yeah, so this, with their affiliates. Yeah, yeah, this is crazy. But I didn't know, what I didn't know is that it was affiliates, you know, the, the webinars were, mm -hmm. were mainly with affiliates, with, which makes perfect sense now. And by the way, speaking of affiliates, we recently ran a, a study on software keywords. Uh, obviously, for, for SaaS companies, they are very, very important and they have commercial value. And we, we have seen that more than 40% of uh, the top 10 uh, search results in Google in the US uh, are either review sites, G2, Captera, GetUp, and so on and so forth, or affiliate sites. So either you mm -hmm. like it or not, you have to play that game. You know, um, they have a strong presence and you just have to play it. But as you mentioned, like it may not be the case in every, uh, in every category. No, you just have to do what's necessary to reach the customers you want for your product, right? Just do whatever the market dictates your marketing strategy should be. That's why, I mean, from my perspective, it's, it's almost, um, I don't know, it, it, it kills me a little bit inside when I see people talk about like uh, they'll hire some you know marketing executive to come in a company and talk about their playbook, how they came from X, Y, and Z companies before. And now they're in a totally different industry. And I just know it's not going to work out because they're going to try stuff that doesn't work for their market, for their customers. It's just, it doesn't map one-to-one. -one. You can't just copy and paste the same strategies across industries. You have to really tailor it to the market, to the customers, let them dictate your marketing strategy for you. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Uh, I'd like to shift gears a bit uh, and uh, discuss Swipe Well, which is something that you are building in the public. Um, and um, if I'm not mistaken, you are currently in the stage of um, developing uh, ideal customer profiles, pricing, and so on and so forth. And my question is, which is obviously something that I 
you know would like to learn more about uh, as we as we move forward with the conversation. But my question is how um, having a, an audience uh, that you created through swipe files uh, help you get more than five hundred people uh, on your waiting list uh, for uh, swipe well. Well, it helps a lot. <laughs> just made my life easy. Um, this has sort of been part of the master plan all along, a little bit. But uh, you know, I'm essentially acting as like an in-house influencer. You know, I'm, I am my own influencer for my own SaaS product because there's such strong customer alignment between both of these products and a lot, you know, audiences and uh, and a lot of overlap there. So, you know, for SwipeWell, it's fun because now I get to do marketing for my own SaaS business and my own SaaS product. Um, so the way that I'm doing it is very intentional, right? I'm trying to figure out what are the ways it's easy for me, right? Because I'm a SaaS marketer. I know this really well. I know the marketing world very well, how it works. I also, my first job at Cordial, we were marketing to marketers. It was email marketing software for large, you know, corporate 1000 brands. And so marketing to marketers is also not a foreign concept to me. I know how marketers make decisions. I know the channels that they're on. I know the things that they get them to buy. I know how to communicate to, to them, especially because I am a marketer first and foremost. Um, we're really, really early stage. So basically we're, we're building an MVP. We're just now sort of sending out a couple of beta invites to start testing out the product. But right now what I really want to do is start building up anticipation and start building up the SwipeWell audience and the SwipeWell platforms so that we can draw from that basically like a well, right? You just, you build up the well, you build up this, this big reservoir, and then you can draw as much as is available. But if, uh, if you don't have a lot to draw from, then there's going to be, you know, nothing there, right? It's not, not going to be very fruitful. And the, the, the funny thing that I talk to a lot of people about is a lot of startups will go into stealth mode or they'll sort of be like, well, we don't really want to do a lot of marketing yet because the product isn't great. Or like we're still an MVP. I'm like, what are you talking about? This is the perfect time to do marketing because then when you do want to launch, you're going to launch the crickets. When you're in stealth mode, what does that even mean, right? Then you're like, uh, you're praying to the PR gods and you're praying to TechCrunch to give you some coverage and and you're praying that that will even work and that people will even care about that and read the article and that that will generate some sort of hype. It, let me tell you, it doesn't work a lot of times. Sometimes it does work. Sometimes you can get away with being in stealth mode if you're really working on like a game-changing technology or it's very, very innovative. It's if it's in the zeitgeist of whatever happens to be hot and trendy. But for most people, stealth mode is a horrible idea. And even then, people will just kind of like not step on the gas for marketing until way, way later. They've been in a cave building for a year, and now they pop up and say, okay, now I need to start, need to start getting users. And they realize that it's not as easy uh, as it looks. So what I tell people is you're only pre-launch once. You might as well make the most of it, right? Once you launch, once you make it, uh, available for anyone to sign up at any time, you, you're not really going to go back, right? It's really a, uh, a linear set of stages where once you, once you get there, you're only moving forward. The advantage of, of pre-launch is that there's a couple of marketing strategies that you can do that aren't uh, post-launch, right? So right now we're working on a, a waitlist and a referral program for that waitlist. So when you sign up to swipeball.com or swipeball.app right now, what you'll find is that you sign up, punch in your email, We'll redirect you to a confirmation page that says, thanks for joining the waitlist. Uh, here's your position in the waitlist. You're you know, number 10 of 500, for example. Uh, or let's just say you're number 100 out of 500. We're going to be working, we're going to be sending invites top down from the waitlist. 
So if you want to move up, each person that you refer, you move up three spots in the waitlist. Click here to share on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, email. Here's your unique link if you want to share it at any time and reference this at, at, uh, at a later date. And 20% of our waitlist has been generated from people sharing it and referring other people to the waitlist. So you best believe that I'm going to be milking that as much as I can. And we're going to be making the most of this waitlist, generate these organic referrals for as long as possible. Um, I, I would like to reference uh, Superhuman. The Gmail email client makes email super fast and gets you to inbox zero. I, I believe, I haven't checked in a while, but I believe that they're still not open to sign up. You you have to join a waitlist and then you have you can kind of like bypass it if you get an invite from our current customer. Otherwise, you're waiting for an invite from someone from Superhuman to say, hey, would you want to hop on a call? And we'll manually onboard you on that call. That's worked for them, right? They've done that at scale. They have CSMs who have onboarded thousands and thousands of customers because that's what's worked for them, right? I would love to replicate that. I think eventually we'll probably have to just make it open and available for everyone. Um, they've managed to do that really well for them because they're a little bit of a higher ticket product for that category. But again, you're only pre-launched once. So that's the way that we're going about it for SwipeWell. I like that. And I guess that you're using a software for um, this waitlist and uh, for, for this whole process, yeah? Yeah, yeah, you can build it in-house, but we're kind of like, well, we'd rather build out features and yeah, yeah. improve the MVP. So yeah, there are several kind of uh, referral products you can use and just plug into their API and, and generate it that way. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. Um, now, obviously, from the from the outside, um, it seems that Swipe Files is a, a media company. Um, you have a paid membership, you have an email newsletter, a job board, uh, you're writing a book, and also building a SaaS companies uh, all at the same time. I'd like to know uh, these two years, uh, two plus uh, years since you left uh, Bear Metrics, what have you learned running a building from the ground up uh, a media company? What are the, the mm. main learnings that you have got so far? Man, uh, I think that the... I think a lot of people want to kind of turn on the revenue really, really soon. The hard part about building a media company is that's all about monetizing attention, right? And I think that what a lot of people don't realize is that the longer that you stave off the monetization part, um, later on, you build up all this potential energy that you can eventually turn into kinetic energy. But it's kind of like this exponential growth where you you give and you give and you give and you give and you give, create tons and tons of content, generate a big following. And then later, the monetization will kind of take care of itself. And I've been guilty of this myself as well. But the uh, out the gate, you're tempted just to create a paid newsletter um, straight from the start. We're like, oh, I have the free version and the paid version. No one cares about the paid version if no one is in the free version, right? So you have to do a lot of work upfront, sort of building this quote-unquote media company, whether it's a newsletter or a podcast uh, a personal brand, like whatever that thing looks like to you, are just building up the, the all this potential energy up front. So for a while there, I've just been really focused, I think for like the first year, uh, just building up the newsletter. How do I get people to sign up? How do I deliver value in the newsletter? How do I create content that people look, um, crave and that they will also have a newsletter referral program as well? How do I create content that will get people to share the newsletter with, uh, with their friends, with their colleagues? on social media, in private Slack groups, and generate this organic growth. And then or worry about the community, or worry about the membership, worry about the courses, 
worry about the monetization. Um, I probably could have done an, a, a way better job of this, to be honest. So like hindsight's twenty twenty, obviously. But if I was starting over from, from scratch, I would probably spend about two years just creating content completely for free to build up an audience and build up a following. And then like overnight, sort of flip the switch, monetize, launch my courses, launch the community, launch the job board. Um, because they're a little bit competing for, for attention. They're a little bit competing for, uh, for focus on what you want someone to do. When there's one thing you want someone to do, which is to follow you for more content, it's easy. But as soon as you throw in a, and also if you want to pay for this thing over here, or if you want to subscribe to this other thing, or if you want to join me in my private community, it dilutes the message a little bit. It makes it a little bit harder to, to get involved. So anyways, all that to say, um, there's a lot of value in just building up uh, an audience, building up a following, especially building up on what I call owned platforms. A lot of people will build up their platforms on uh, on rented platforms. It's kind of like building a castle on on sand, where you're at the mercy of algorithms changing and censorship and being deplatformed and getting blocked and uh, potentially losing all of your organic reach overnight, like people saw with Facebook pages way back in the day. Um, so my focus is a lot on how do I transfer all the attention I'm building up on these rented platforms, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, even borrowed platforms, which is another concept like a podcast I'm doing right now, or doing a newsletter swap, doing a webinar for another brand, and transferring all that as many as much as I can over to an own platform like a newsletter, like a community, like a a podcast, where there's these open web protocols, RSS, email. You know, SMTP, uh, uh, a community where it's like you own the distribution. There is no algorithm, or at least like you make the algorithm, basically. And that way, you have a direct line of communication with your customers, and it's transferable, right? Where I can move email lists. I can't move my Twitter list anywhere. I can't move my Twitter followers to another platform. And that's a huge risk, right? And so um, I, that, that part I definitely got right with sort of this building a media company thing is you need to build on owned platforms. You need to be able to transfer just like a funnel, right? From borrowed to rented to, to owned. Uh, that way you don't have any risk and you have a direct line of communication with them. Can I ask you something? First of all, I, I, I follow your logic and I, I agree uh, with, with your points, but I have to ask, let's say that a company, SaaS company that's established um, and has the resources uh, to execute on, uh, on different strategies and initiatives, comes to you and they tell you, Corey, we would like to run this thing like a, like a media company, okay? Uh, and they mention an example. When I think of examples of media companies, specifically for SaaS, I would think of something like Profitwell. I don't know if you have any other uh, examples, but we want to do it like Profitwell. What are the, the steps that you would recommend? Like how can they get started, uh, in other words, uh, towards trying to, to build uh, a media or to run their marketing operations as a, as a media company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, let me back up a little bit. So this whole idea of marketing like a media company uh, was kind of introduced uh, on Twitter by a couple of people, Dave Gerhardt, uh, Balaji, um, uh, I'm forgetting now, but a few other people I talked about. And I think that at face value, it sounds like a really nice idea. It gets a lot of likes, gets a lot of retweets, gets a lot of replies of, yeah, that sounds really, really smart. But then if you really think about it, you're like, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? So the, the exact question you just asked, like, what does this actually look like? How is this different than traditional marketing? 
you know, what does it mean to take it to the next step of marketing like a media company? Um, so I actually sort of did the work, spent a couple months of researching, studying, really digging in. I normal, I mean, just like naturally, I'm a very skeptical person. I try to be very objective and truthful and, and honest. And so I found myself just kind of like nodding and agreeing, but then I was like, now we need to, I need to figure this out. Is this actually a thing or it's just a, a nice idea? Something that makes for a nice kind of Twitter soundbite, <laughs> but isn't any more than that. After studying companies, I think we're exemplifying this and really getting into the nitty gritty of what it actually means. I think that there is a lot of merit to it. And there, there is a very stark contrasted difference for uh, marketing like a media company versus what I call uh, performative marketing or just traditional marketing for SaaS companies, especially. Um, like you mentioned, there are a, a few companies in particular that are, that are exemplifying this. ProfitWell, Wistia, Buffer, HubSpot, Coinbase, uh, even A16Z. Um, a lot of companies doing this really, really well. So when we get down to kind of the brass tacks and the practicalities of it, I think there's kind of a, a crawl, walk, run approach where if you're just starting out, if you're you know, like me and you're just getting your startup off the ground, you're not really going to be building a media company unless you sort of have a media company like a Swipe Files, for example, where you can kind of cross promote and, and, uh, and, and leech off of that brand. But if you're starting from scratch, you're not actually going to be creating a media company. At scale, when you're running, when you're HubSpot, you can literally create or you can even buy a media company like they did with The Hustle. And that is quite literally marketing like a media company. So when you're just starting out and you're crawling, let's just say, for example, what does it look like? Well, to answer that, we have to understand what does it mean to market like a media company? Fundamentally, a media company is about two things. It's about media personalities. And it's about treating your content like a product. And so um, with a media personality, think about every big media company out there. We have news anchors. Those are the people that... It's not, it's not about Fox News. It's about Tucker Carlson. right? Or it's not about uh, uh, CNN. It's about Anderson Cooper. right? People follow people at the end of the day. They want to hear from people. And so if you want to build a media company, you need to build media personalities. As the founder, I think the founders are the most ripe and ultimately the best to be sort of like the media personality because they're the most skin in the game long-term to represent the brand, to represent the company that you want to, uh, they want to do marketing for. Um, so if you're a founder early on, it looks really, really simple. It looks like building in public. It looks like going on podcasts. It looks like becoming an authoritative and a trusted voice in a community. Very, very simple. If you want to walk with us a little bit, you want to build, bring in other people into the equation. This is when Drift, for example, David Kensel, serial entrepreneur, startup founder, really well known. He hires Dave Gerhardt. He says, hey, we should start a podcast. Uh, one, this will help you, but this will also help me to create more content because I'm a busy CEO and I don't have a lot of time. Seeking Wisdom explodes. And now Dave Gerhardt is more the face and the voice and the, the personality of Drift. He's creating LinkedIn videos. He's uh, talking on the podcast. He's doing speaking gigs. He's going on podcasts. Now everyone's looking to Dave Gerhardt. And then in turn, they're also looking to Drift because Dave Gerhardt is the face of, of Drift. And then even beyond that, they say, hey, we need to create more Dave Gerhardt's. Let's get Maggie Crawley to start a podcast about product management. 
not even related remotely closely to uh, what Drift does as a product, reaching marketers and doing chatbots on websites. But we just want to loop, bring in another audience. We want to have another angle, another media personality. Again, we saw this really well with uh, with the hustle. Even Sam Parr is writing on the newsletters. Then he brings in Trunk Fan, and then Trunk Fan starts building his his, uh, his Twitter audience. Then we bring in Steph Smith. And then we bring in uh, Alex Garcia, and then we bring in all these other people who are building their personal brands, but in a way where they are representing the company, the brand, the corporate sort of face as well. Um, and so if you want to just kind of get started, it's really about thinking about yourself as how do I turn myself into someone who is worth following at the end of the day, who's creating content that is uh, valuable in and of itself. So to extrapolate a little bit more on that second piece, so one, we have media personalities, two is treating our content like a product. And that in and of itself is a huge stark contrast because SaaS marketing in particular, in the last 20 years, I would say, it's been dominated by performance marketing, advertising, number crunching, uh, quantitative analysis, attribution. It's very, very transactional. It's how do we generate more leads? How do we convert more of those leads? How do we just get more of these conversations up? Um, but when you're taking all the time, I think this is what a lot of people find is that you know, even if you're successful for a little while with your advertising, it's the law of shitty click-throughs. Everything diminishes over time. You get ad fatigue. Uh, people get tired of it. You sort of exhaust the audience that you're advertising to. And so um, so this is a, a completely different approach where instead you're saying, we're going to give, give, give. We're going to create content that is educational, that is helpful, that if we didn't have a SaaS product, people would come to the site anyways, just to learn and just to get educated and even entertained. We're going to create podcasts. We're going to create YouTube channels. We're going to create fun newsletters and teardowns and all these creative types of content that people would go to and learn from just for the content itself. It is valuable in and of itself. It has inherent value to the content. And now you're doing more brand marketing where you can advertise and retarget that list of people but also you're just bringing in new people in the top of the funnel all the time. You're building brand affinity. People love and trust the brand just for the content rather than the product itself. And now when you advertise to them, uh, you're going to have a lot less ad fatigue. You're going to have higher conversion rates. You're going to have a lot easier time getting on the phone with people. And you're going to be able to convert a lot more leads that you're generating because you're doing the work upfront of, of giving, of creating the content that is, that is valuable. So anyways, um, I know I'm rambling and talking a lot, so I'll digress from there. Love that, first of all. Uh, and I, I really like your approach on uh, media personalities. Um, like, it, it, it makes sense. Uh, it makes sense. The, the way you, uh, you approach this uh, makes, makes sense. And also, uh, unfortunately, I have to admit, uh, especially considering our sales conversations with prospects, um, that from... The con marketing and SEO perspective, uh, because we are not involved in other activities such as PPC and so on and so forth. But I can I must admit that you know it's 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 very transactional, and unfortunately, we we start talking to uh, our prospects in many cases about you know maybe we can like yeah when we're talking about SaaS companies specifically, yeah, we will do alternative pages. Okay, we will do comparison pages. You know, everyone is doing it. We will do that as well. Okay, but you know what? We can also do something more creative, like um, do something that is not the same as every other piece of content out there 
in your category. Um, and in many cases, uh, we, we have uh, such conversations very often. Um, they are hesitant, um, like, okay, but how will we measure that? Because they know that alternative pages, chances are they are going to bring something, okay? But like thought leadership, okay, yeah, we can do that. But like, will we have any leads from that? And, and so, you know, I, I, I must admit that it's, it's difficult to, to prove the value of something like that. Um, but I agree with you in general that it's, it's very transactional. It's very transactional. Yeah. Well, I think that the key there, it's actually, it's very, very simple. But attribution is not just about uh, the numbers on the screen and uh, the conversion points that you can see in your funnel. We ask a very simple question uh, for the start that I basically like the part-time head of marketing for SavvyCal. It's a Calendly competitor, you know, book meetings, scheduling tool. It's very, very simple, broad market horizontal use across a lot, across a lot of different uh, types of companies and people and the ways that they use it. And when someone signs up, we ask them, how'd you hear about us? And we get a huge array of answers. But guess what some of the, the top two answers are that you'll never see in any of the data, any of the funnels, any of the web analytics. I heard about it from Derek on his podcast, who's the founder. He runs Art of Product, Art of Product Podcast. Or me, Corey on Twitter or on a podcast or somewhere else, something like this. Because we're asking that question and it's just a free form text comment box, we're allowing people to kind of stitch together all the unattributable conversion touch points, all the things that we'll never see in the data, all the things that are sort of like this, you know, dark web attribution, we're never going to know and see in the web analytics, but that they are attributing as that was the reason why I converted, or that was the, the first place that I heard about Savvy Kill, right? Um, it's very, very simple. I don't know why more people don't ask that question. For some reason, I thought it was like, I, I do that for everything. And I've been doing that for every startup I've been a part of. For some reason, people are either not accustomed to it or not open to it, or think that it's flawed in some way. But you'll see a lot of the brand awareness attribution in that type of question uh, with your customer base. I love that. I love that. And maybe we will start suggesting it to our clients. Now, um, we are ready to start wrapping things up. And I have one last question for you, um, which is different from what we discussed uh, so far. Um, I would like to discuss a bit your time at uh, Barometrics. Um, and um, I know that you left the company a couple of years ago uh, when the, the company's MRR was around 140K, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, um, at the time of your departure. Uh, could you please share a couple of things that you learned um, getting the company from where it was to um, you know, uh, 100K uh, almost um, in, in, in MRR? Uh, some learnings and some maybe tips that you have for people who are listening to this, uh, this episode. Mm -hmm. it's, it, it goes back to sort of the place that we started with that sort of, you know, one to three channels to get you millions in ARR. Because when I was at Parametrics, I was originally hired to basically grow hack and experiment and try new stuff, stuff that Parametrics had never done before. <clears throat> Previously, Barometrics had grown off the back of Josh's personal brand and Twitter, uh, the content that he was creating around, you know, share experiences around Barometrics, challenges they were facing, you know, building in public, transparency kind of stuff. <clears throat> Excuse me one second. 
And uh, so when I got hired, he's basically like, hey, we need to figure out what the next thing is. What are, what are the new channels we need to do? Turns out we just need to do more of the same. <laughs> All the things that I tried that were new really didn't do that much. I mean, they probably added maybe like, you know, five to 10 grand in MRR, but really to like to scale and to keep growing at the same pace that we wanted to, we just need to do more of the same and better. What was growing bare metrics was content and SEO. And we basically put that on pause and stopped for like a, my first year there. And then we realized like, you know what, there's a lot more here. There's a lot more opportunities, there's a lot more things we can do to convert this traffic. Um, there are keywords we haven't even touched yet. There are uh, new angles we can take, new methods we can try. We just need to really double down on content marketing. So we hired a content marketing manager. I did a lot more like conversion rate optimization type of work. And guess what? It worked. Um, and so I think a lot of my learnings at Barometrics were uh, a lot of what not to do and learning what it looks like to fail and to fail kind of gracefully, but also to figure out what does work, how to take channels to the next level. And even when you don't think that there's any anything more to squeeze out of the lemon, finding even more, right? And uh, and really taking it, um, you know, I think that you, you kind of always, there's like kind of this whole tip of the iceberg idea where you think just because you've covered the tip of the iceberg, what's, what's above water, that you've explored the channel, you've tested it, it works, and let's work on to the next one. But there's still like 80% left to go through. And that 80% is going to feel like a lot of small things, these little optimizations. But that is, those are the things that really do take it to the next level. I wasn't like a, an SEO when I was at Barometrics. I didn't know what it meant to take our content and SEO to the next level. But learning through it, higher than content marketing manager, talking to a lot of folks, learning more of SEO, I realized that we weren't really, we were leaving a lot on the table. On the technical side of things, we had a lot to improve on. Link building, we had never done. Um, on the conversion rate side of things, we really had no idea how to convert traffic. We were doing a terrible job of that. Uh, there was so much more that we weren't doing that we were just at the tip of the iceberg. And so, you know, when you think that you need, just when you're tempted to move on to the next channel, pause and figure out if there's more you can do on the things that are currently working. And, and now, to be honest, I mean, I'm I'm kind of at the point now where it, it, it seemed nice and like a fun idea to just like create all these little things that would add up to to MRR growth. Now I'm like a marketing minimalist. Like if there's one channel that can just take me from start to finish to a million dollars in error and, and beyond, I'd rather just do that one thing than mess with all this other stuff. I kind of had FOMO a little bit like, oh, we're not running ads. Like we should be running ads. Oh, we don't have an affiliate program. We should have an affiliate program. Now I'm like, no, we just need to focus. What is the one thing that's most efficient most promising that we can scale up the quickest and let's just double down on that and not even worry about the rest of it. I like that. And I think it's a, it's a great way to, to close this, uh, this episode. Uh, last question that I have for you, Corey, where can people um, find out more about you and get in touch? I'm on Twitter pretty much all day long. <laughs> so at Corey Haynes Co on Twitter, uh, my personal site, CoreyHaynes.co has a list of all my projects and past experiences and stuff like that. But if you want to go directly, it's just swipehouse.com. Sign up for the newsletter. We'd love to have you there. Uh, and then swipewell.app if you want to join the waitlist. And I would love for you to check it out and be one of our first beta users.
That's great. We will drop all these links in the show notes. Uh, Corey, thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. It's a lot of fun. Thank you for staying with us until the end. Before you go, I'd like to give a quick shout out to the sponsor for this episode, Ahrefs. Ahrefs provides you with an all-in-one SEO toolset that does everything from rank tracking to backlink analysis, keyword research, and technical audits. The best part, you can now use Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free to identify and prioritize optimization opportunities for your website, see all the keywords that your web pages are ranking for, take a close look at the websites that link back to and refer you in their content, and analyze other websites to find out what drives their rankings. Visit ahrefs.com awt and sign up for free. Another episode of the SaaS SEO Show has wrapped. We hope this episode has taught you something new too. We'd like you to connect with us so you can keep up with all the new content that we're creating. Before you go, it would mean the world to us if you could subscribe to this podcast and over at our YouTube channel where we upload the video version of this and every episode. Until next time.